Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 237. This week, we talk with Clint Rutkus about Microsoft Power Toys. Google and Bing ads, ads, ads. Java support in VS Code. And LastPass figures out how to implement unbreakable security. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week we have Clint Rutkus, lead for Microsoft Power Toys. How's it going, Clint? Hey, doing great. That's good. And welcome back to the show. We love repeat guests. And uh, yeah, so let's just jump into the uh, into the news. So the first story we have here, LastPass stores passwords so securely, not even as users can access them. Yeah, so uh, this was a story that happened last week where there was a, a software glitch and there was a tiny percentage, but when LastPass is user base is as big as it is, um, you know, that's probably still a significant number of people couldn't access their own passwords. Um, and yeah, I, I wanted to bring this up less because of, you know, what happened, you know, things happen in software, they updated it fairly quickly, but not quick enough for some people. And this is one area that you know, I was kind of reflecting in my life mm-hmm. where I actually put kind of everything in one basket. <laughs> yes. All of my passwords are in LastPass. And I'd say for, um, you know, a good majority of my passwords, I don't know them mm-hmm. because they're unique and generated by LastPass and stored there. And if th- this happened to me and I needed to do like some emergency banking, I'd be kind of hosed. Yeah, my life is in there. So it brings up the question, how do you back up LastPass? And I think- So they do have an option to do that. Yeah. But the problem is, is they had, there was the, it wasn't like a service outage. Mm-hmm. So this was a, an error in being able to decrypt those passwords. So because of that, like you would have your backup, but your backup's encrypted. But at the end of the day, though, like the scenario you gave out, most people like on my cell phone, I just use uh, the, the, you know, biometric style login and it goes straight right through. Well, you still yeah, but biometric no password, for me. Yeah. Yeah. So my phone on the iPhone uses biometrics to get into LastPass. That too, but I'm saying like to to use a banking app, all my banking apps, the passwords are, you know, auto stored and they just use the. uh, Right. uh, So you'd be fine for a temporary outage. Until. uh, So I have three different banks that I have banking apps for and they all do cash that, but periodically they need to be refreshed. Yeah. And it's on that where it needs that extra hit to last pass. So, you know, once again, just going to like all of my password eggs are still in that basket. Of oh, I, I, I'm in this exact same basket you are where I'd be in deep, deep poop. Yeah. So, so I, was, I was just thinking of this, like how, what guidance should we give to actually back it up? And at first I was thinking like, you can export it as plain text and then you can, you could certainly <laughs> print it, <laughs> which would be horrific. But I was thinking about this. Um, Isn't one, that actually though, like deemed a, a pseudo secure? Yeah, that's probably not a good as, idea. As long as that, as long as that password is or that piece of paper is in a secured location yeah yeah I mean, so that's better than using the same password right so that's that's a bad idea then i was thinking okay so export that file and then encrypt it and i don't think like i wouldn't use like bitlocker 
Um, cause I don't, I don't think that that's good enough. Um, and I wouldn't just throw it in a cloud drive, but you know, what would work really well for this. If you're using OneDrive, there's that personal vault. Um, oh, I forgot that, about that feature. That would actually be, I think that would be a, a an acceptable, 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 uh, security, um, profile to just put it into there. Maybe, maybe somebody who's listening can disagree with that and tell me why, but I believe that gets you know, encrypted on the client, you do have to make sure then that you know your Microsoft login because that's the problem, right? Like if you do encrypt that unencrypted file, you're going to want to use a really good password for that. And then you have to remember, you can't put that in the LastPass. Otherwise you have a circular reference issue. So just, but I mean, you could still put it in LastPass, but it could just be one of the passwords you physically remember. Right, right, right. Yeah. So some, yeah, I do have some passwords where like LastPass is the backup you know, in case I just forget, forget yeah. it. But that is, uh, that is a really good point. So, yeah, but I think that personal vault, I mean, I, I think I haven't put anything in there, but I think I trust that. Um, I think that security minded people wrote that feature, just like the people that wrote LastPass. Um, so my yeah. gut feeling is that that's probably uh, a pretty reasonable uh, place to put things. Cool. Okay. Uh, Windows 10 users, Google reveals when it's killing off, when it's killing off Chrome apps. Yeah, they've been talking about so, this for a while. Yeah, so apps in Chrome have been around since 2013. Now, this is different than PWAs and stuff like that. This was proprietary for Chrome. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I completely forgot about this. Um, I only have one computer yet that still has uh, Chrome installed. And I went on there and, was, you know, I had a few games that sync uh, and were still available on there. So, you know, I did, you know verify that, you know, like, Hey, you you know, I can still access these, but, um, even though I was just using games, there were more significant applications that were built and it looks like those will only stick around until June, 2022. So that's still over two years away. Mm -hmm. But if you are uh, relying on an application or if you have an application that you're supporting, uh, that's how long you have until you have to find a backup for it. Absolutely. I have a feeling this doesn't affect people too much. What do it, not what do Chromebooks run though? Like if it's not apps, what do they run now? Nobody knows. I'm not a Chromebook guy. Yeah, is it just P I can't imagine is it I can't imagine it's PWAs, well, right? I, yeah. Or do they just expect you to just go to websites? But like how does that work? It must you must I just think use it's offline. Be PWAs because then you can do offline. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean they might have supported this initially, so Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. Well, anyway, I don't, other than that, I can't imagine the effects are too big, except for that one person that has that one app that they really want and it's going away. Um, Microsoft teaches Visual Studio Code a few new Java tricks. Yeah. So, you know, for people who don't recall, Java, according to the TOB index is and has been the most popular programming language in use for quite a while. Um, and Visual Studio Code, sometimes you forget, you know, works equally well for many, many, many different languages, including Java. Um, I kind of ran into this because I'm doing some Java work right now. And you know, Visual Studio Code has quite a few built-in um, where you don't need extension uh, abilities that you normally think that uh, IDEs would normally have. So um, there's things like call hierarchy view where you can kind of do like a, a peak style in visual studio see what's calling it or what it's calling um as well as getting more uh data on breakpoints um you know visual studio code if you're using that 
for other things and you're also doing some Java work, you might want to, you know, pick it up and, you know, see how it compares to IntelliJ or one of the other uh, IDEs that you might be using. Uh, it might be a little bit uh, easier for lighter weight activities. That is pretty cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. So hopefully find somebody finds that useful. Um, Microsoft begins accepting extensions for its Edge Chromium browser. What This yeah, website so- is terrible, by the way. What is the deal with this <laughs> website? <laughs> I don't know. It's the random article that I pulled for this one. It's really weird. But um, uh, the new Chromium-based version of Edge came out uh, as we recorded this about a week ago. Um, so that came out on January 15th. And pretty much, uh, I, I think, all Chrome extensions uh, are going to work with it. In fact, if you just go to the uh Google Chrome extension store mm-hmm. um, and you try installing an extension, like a pop-up comes up. It's like, do you want to enable uh, additional stores? And you say yes. And then you can kind of just use extension that are uh, from Chrome. Uh, but it sounds like uh, the extensions will be available in the Microsoft extension store uh, for submission soon. And according to this article, there should be no code changes needed to make that work. So it's just simply a submission. Yeah. And I'm wondering like, what the point is, <laughs> I guess, I guess you, I mean, it's visibility, right? Like you, you can, people will see your extension in the store, but if, you know, seeing as how like all the Chrome stuff seems to work perfectly fine. Um, I'm not sure what the value proposition is there. Um, and, and if, so, if, if my, if I an extension that I use now shows up in the store, should I switch to it? Well, okay, so, you could also have a, a corporation that wants their, you know, thing to be edge edge only there, i mean there there sure. are reasons to do this yeah that's a good point and then also think about how weird it would be like to not have its own store like but you yeah that seems risky chromium yeah it's a good point through the chrome store just feels weird yeah plus when you're in edge there is a link to bring you right to the extension store so right i mean it just br- makes it a more integrated experience for acquiring them when that's all in one ui yeah, that's a good point Cool. Okay. And then uh, there's a there's something strange about the recent design change to Google search results, favicons, and extra header text. They all look like ads, which is perhaps the point. Yeah. So you and I, Jason, were talking before we were recording about this, and yep. we're doing a bunch of like side by searches, side by side searches to kind of figure out what's going on. So if you noticed, and I noticed this without uh, before seeing this, that Google recently updated like how the search result page in in the web. Um, looks. Um, and at if you kind of just go to a, a search and you happen to not get ads, kind of everything looks like it could be an ad, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- doing like a, a couple of searches, like I did cloud computing, because I know that's kind of a keyword that advertisers are going to want to, you know, buy up. Uh, instead of a favicon that gets pulled in there, it actually says ad in bold text pr- pretty prominently. Um, but what, what was really weird is, um, you know, that was kind of obvious, but there was other like headers on the page that had results that looked like they were natural results, but were still kind of ads. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very interesting the inconsistencies uh, of the numbers of ads and which ads were showing between you know Jason and mine account. So um, yeah, I just did a search for BMW, and <laughs> you imagine like, hey, BMW of Bellevue shouldn't be a top result, but it is. But mm-hmm. it only well, shows a single ad. So but is that also prioritizing that because it knows where you're yeah, coming that's from and it knows you? Right? Was that true? An ad but or BMW not? Seattle is is 
an ad, but then it's not shown in the top hit, <laughs> top results. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as we try to understand, you know, like what some of these companies are doing, especially, you know, with paid uh, sponsored ads and kind of more native ones and us trying to be educated consumers on choosing which links that we click on, you know, it is kind of important that we understand how some of these things are changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This has gotten, in my opinion, so scummy. I just, I can't stand the search results now. Like I'm looking at Google and the first four things are ads for like, I search for Apple watch bands on Carl's suggestion. And then in Bing, it's one, two, three, uh, one, two, I guess there's less in Bing. Uh, but then I don't know. It's, it's terrible. Like there have been many cases where the number of ads has exceeded the number of actual search results on the first page. And I'm struggling to find the real thing. Um, well, in an addition, you're like, what about DuckDuckGo? Right. Because, you know, you know, they're a lot cleaner in a lot of ways, but we actually found their paid sponsored positions to be even kind yeah, it's of worse, more, after, more devious. Yeah. After the it, ad, it says ad. So once you've read the ad, it's like, you just saw an ad. It's like, oh, you got me. So I think they're actually worse in this case. So I don't know what to do. This whole thing is just really scummy. You know how you people used to take out like, and maybe they still do like a full page ad in the New York times. I'm just waiting for like Google. Like you just go there and there's just a full page ad on Google. Now <laughs> click here for like actual results. Um, and like I said, Bing is no better. Duck, 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 go is no better. I mean, it's just, this is the norm now. So yeah, well, that's depressing. <laughs> and they're getting better at it. They're getting more deceptive. Um, I get the same thing in Twitter. Like they keep, honing in on it. Um, this basically like on clickbait cause I'm looking through stuff. I'm like, that looks interesting. Click on it. I'm like, Oh, that was an ad. Wasn't it? Ugh. And I hate it because I'm sending them a signal that ads work. And I just, you know, it's just not good. Not good. But at the same time, like w- what revenue model would you want them to take? <sighs> what? Running, running this stuff is not cheap. Well, I think, you know, our point is, isn't that there are ads, but the ads are becoming harder to differentiate between actual content. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it's still a good point, right? Because like every time we get good at ignoring ads, then their revenue model goes away again. So it's like this, this, you know, cat and mouse game. Right. So yeah. to actually answer the question, I think it's based on a conversation we had before. And I guess this doesn't apply to everybody, but like, this is like part of my livelihood. And honestly, at this point, I would pay money for that problem to go away. Like, if I had to give a, a search engine, if they were uh, the premium search engine, a few dollars a month, I mean, I can't imagine they make more than a couple dollars on me a month. right? Well, and, and that's the thing that's hard to know is what is our actual value as people who are consuming searches? Yeah. Do they give you a way to pay and not have them pay, pay Google? So it says maybe Google contributor. Can I pay? It looks like you used to be able to. Turn off ad purchase. Stop pop-up ads. You can turn all oh, that's pop-up ads. Remove un. Okay, here we go. Remove unwanted ads on your computer. Go to Google.com. Okay. Turn off personal ads. Well, that doesn't do generic that. ads. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, let, we'll try to get to the bottom of this. Maybe we can cover it on the next episode. I, I guarantee you, there's no way to do it. Well, there oh, was I, for I, a while. I'm, will, I'm willing to put a twenty on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will tell you, I. I don't disagree, but I know for a while there was a way that you could pay them to make them go away. So yeah, right here, Google contributor asks users to pay one to $3 a month to remove advertising from partner sites on desktop and mobile. So it, does it still exist? Um, buying? Oh yeah, it does still exist. Contributor.google.com. 
So you load your pass with an initial payment to get started. Each time you visit a page without ads, a a per page fee is deducted from your pass to pay the creators of the website. And then a small portion is kept by Google to cover the cost of running the service. Um, so this and might then, do it. But you still have you still also have the problem of like you look at a bunch of uh, creation sites or creator sites and they're intentionally creating media that spawns this anyway. So mm-hmm. if you want to go to what used to be a good website, it's spawned and it's like covered in ads. It's what right. they, what should take seconds to load takes 30 seconds to load right. even on a on broadband. Yep. It's ridiculous. And I have paid uh, YouTube slash Google already for YouTube premium so that I didn't have ads in there because those were so obtrusive. It was the same problem, right? Like you're just wasting tons of my time and I'm willing willing to pay a few dollars to make this problem go away. And some people are and some people aren't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's fine. But then yeah, give me the give me the option to do it. Um, if it's not worth your time, which for most people, the ads are a great way to support it, then that's fine. But, uh, I do a lot of, I do a lot of, I watch a ton of YouTube for, you know, various educational purposes and, uh, like a lot of YouTube, that's probably the most common thing in our house. And 10 bucks a month is to me is totally worth it. Probably saves hours of ads every month. I mean, if somebody were, if somebody said, we're going to pay you $10 to like sit and watch ads for three hours, would you take it? I don't think many people would, but that's exactly what happens. It's just that they're, they're, they're given out in small doses, right? But you're thinking of it in terms of your total worth and time where they're dishing it out in 15 second increments. Exactly. Yeah. So some, you know, is it the end of the world that I sat there or zoned out and did something else for 15 seconds? Yeah. Really? Right. Some of them are over a minute long, though. I think there's some that are even multiple minutes, by the way. Which... I've never been forced to watch a, um, one for that long, though. Yeah. Like, it's either 15 seconds or, I think, five-second opt-out, at least on the woodworking videos that I watch on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, get, yeah, on, like, Hulu and stuff, but not YouTube. Yeah. I've seen them on YouTube. Um, I don't know if there was an opt-out or not, because... That was months ago when I started paying. I was going to say that uh, YouTube is probably the best with their video ads about either keeping them short or letting you uh, skip. Yeah. Okay. So here it says, oh, that's the most effective. Um, And as long as one minute are both good options, it's just like, this is just advice. Timing is everything. That's crazy. So you can't have one this minute, but I wonder if the FAA enforce like being able to cancel it. Anyway, we've probably talked this one to death, so I think we should talk about Power Toys because it's much more interesting. Yes! <laughs> Finally. <laughs> so what the heck is Power Toys? Probably everybody has heard of Power Toys, um, but like, um, what is Power Toys? Yeah, so I'm going to go actually use the exact blurb on our website uh, on GitHub. Okay. So it's a uh, system utility. It's a, it's a suite of system utilities to maximize productivity. And the entire idea is behind Power Toys from back when it was inspired in Windows 95 and XP is it's a set of utilities for power users to tune and streamline their experiences on Windows for greater productivity. Um, So when you think about it, it's all about like, hey, what happens if we could tweak this setting and explore or you know, give you a different way to, you know, back in the day, mount an ISO when you couldn't. Mm-hmm. So all these things typical back with in 95 and XP were utilities built by Windows engineers or engineers across the company. And they merged, they were like, hey, this is really cool. Why don't we make this public? Um, 
And a lot of these didn't make sense in Windows itself at the time because either the tech was too bleeding edge and it didn't make sense to be in, in Windows or it was a very niche thing, but those people that needed it really needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, such as an ISO. Back in the day, mounting an ISO, like you kind of needed, like you were a very, I would make the argument, minority in the, in the grand scheme of things. Now, pretty much a lot of these things are built directly into Windows. And that's one of the reasons why Power Toys went away was everything for the most part in 90 from 95 and XP tweak our uh, uh, power toys got merged into windows. Yeah. So like RoboCopy, for example, I just went to my command, like just to confirm I'm like in the latest version of windows 10, I can just type in RoboCopy and it's there. Yeah. So, so is, is part of the, the way that we're looking at it today is for some of these features to be a, a test bed in power toys to eventually get rolled into windows or is it a little bit different? Uh, that is a potential revenue, uh, uh, venue. So anything we put into Power Toys, one of the um, ideas and the reason why Power Toys is kind of coded currently how it is, is that could be a potential, is these tweaks could be rolled into Windows. So we are looking at not just, hey, is this a problem in, uh, or not a problem, sorry, is this a something on Power Toys that people are... Uh, asking for, but also looking at our internal systems to say, is this something people are looking for in, let's say, Windows Feedback Hub? So uh, one of my partners in crime, uh, Jennifer Gentleman, who people might know on Twitter, she's way more popular than I am, but um, (laughs) I am uh, in continual contact with her going like, hey, I noticed this, I see this, hey, what about this thing? Um, And then we'll have a conversation and go like, is this actually a... um, something we should probably look at. Mm-hmm. So um, right now we have a couple power toys built into it. We're specking a couple more and we're proactively paying attention to what people are asking for and seeing kind of uh, what works together. Like are there common themes? So one thing I just recently did was um, a bunch of people were asking for tweaks on displays. So I created a super group called Power Display, and I listed out all the different issues. And when you mer- look at it like that, you're like, that would be a cool utility. Yeah. So just imagine like from your uh, taskbar, you can just right click. It shows all your, your monitors. You can tweak your resolutions, your DPIs, turn on HDR, turn off HDR if you're a gamer. Like that seems really cool, really powerful. Yeah. That's it the saves you that. Yeah, that's the type of a utility too that I'd find on some like very suspicious site and yep. and and be like, and I have this problem that I need to solve. And I'm like, well, I got to try it. I mean, I had that, I had it on a Mac where the, my refresh rate was stuck at 30 on one monitor for some reason, even though I had two monitors, they were identical. I downloaded this tool that some people swore by and I went in there and I was able to switch it to 60 Hertz, even though I couldn't do it on the Mac itself. And, uh, you know, I don't know what it did and the Mac worked perfect from, from that point forward, but like, I'd rather get something from Microsoft for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing is we're making everything open source. So it's on, uh, github.com slash Microsoft slash, uh, power toys, or you can go to aka.ms slash power toys. Everything we do in the, is, is in the open. We're trying to do our, uh, specs in the open. So we're, we're really trying hard to show people a how to do it and then b this is what we're doing and how we do it mm-hmm. and then what is the audience is it like anybody who uses windows is it you kind of think about developers 
Um, developers is probably the easiest litmus test because we are the you know the epitome of a power user. Um, if I can't do it on keyboard, typically it doesn't exist to me. Um, we always think of the weirdest edge cases I can humanly imagine um, because we are the edge case of most of the time of the edge cases. And um, but we are developers, and I use the word we because I am a, a developer. Um, even though I have PM in my title, uh, we tend to think developers is the only audience. It's not the only audience. So anyone, and that's why our, you know, you heard me say uh, for power users and anyone that wants to tweak Windows to do the certain thing that this is designed for them. Now, with that said, you know, you and your these tools are there, but some of them could potentially act. Uh, make your system act a little bit more interesting. So like fancy zones, for instance, there's lots of different permutations that we have to interact with and different apps then that you may have installed could cause some bit more interesting goodness on your system as well, as we're finding out. <laughs> yeah. So tell us a little bit more about what, what is fancy zones? Can you give us a little bit more background yeah. about that? Okay. So, um, so fancy zones is one of the three power toys that are currently shipping. Um, Fancy Zones is basically, for those who would probably know what this is, it's, it's AeroSnap for all intents and purposes, but on steroids. So AeroSnap is fantastic. I love AeroSnap. And what AeroSnap allows you to do is hit window key on the left arrow or the right arrow, and it moves your window across. Or you can hit shift window left, right, and it moves it across monitors. Is that, However, the, same, is that the same as like whenever I bring it the whole way to the left and it takes up half of the screen? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so that's fantastic. However, I mean, I mean, that was built in the era of, you know, 1080p was the biggest, even if I think 1080p was the biggest. So wouldn't it be fantastic if with the 4K monitors and, and people now have 8K monitors uh, that are coming out to be able to create zones. So let's say I want um, the, the, the dead center of your screen to be one zone and then you have the two let's say you know uh quarters of your screen your left and your right to be much more like reduced and like that's where your microsoft teams could go or um you know a, a crib sheet of notes and stuff and it just makes your life a lot easier you have your center zone that you can pay attention to and you can snap work to and you have your other zones that everything can just snap to as well um, you get to pick and choose, and it's 100% up to you. Now, it's still, I will say, fancy zones in itself to get into a, uh, a good, solid V1. We still have work to do. However, we're getting tons of great feedback about it, and we're being sure that we're trying to make sure that everything we do is additive versus breaking. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, we're still early days. I can't promise everything will be backwards compatible but um, we're doing our best. Yeah. And actually, Carl, I saw you had a question on putting your application in the desired zone. So I played around with this before the episode. So I think you hold on shift, I think. Shift will do it yeah. if you want it to the snap. Yeah. And so that seemed to be the easiest to me. You just hold on shift. You just drag it where you want it and it pops yeah. right so in there. My, my ultimate question is, by default, when you turn this feature on, you're not overriding the default uh, arrow snap. Is I there, think you is have there physically a, set. It's been a while since I've had to go through the install experience, which is probably something I should do uh, again. 
I think you have to set a a uh, fancy zone layout. Right. So my my question is, without overriding the windows left and right to move it around, is there a way uh, a keyboard combination to move that around, mm. or do you have to just override that to make it work? I think the two won't work. You'll start getting kind of a, a fighting mentality. Um, and this, and if this you want to- it to work differently or not allow us to override AeroSnap, um, I would say let's. it's a perfect example of filing an issue on GitHub so we can have that conversation. Excellent. So that that's part of the what you were saying, you know, is probably that way because of the work that it takes to deal with interacting with AeroSnap. I I I'm 99% sure we actually override it and we take the key and then just don't shove it through the OS. Yeah, so mine's we mine's override it. Yeah. Um but it's it's to oh, me it would be very it. weird to have two things that do the same thing but one does it one way and the other doesn't. Oh, mine is the AeroSnap. That's what I'm getting. Is the AeroSnap. Yeah, I think I think you physically have to set the the zone first. Yeah. yeah, I think for me that was an initial confusion when I download or when I got this up and running is I was kind of hoping for that experience, but, uh, I mean, it definitely makes sense, uh, why it is like it is. Um, I mean, if anybody remembers, I have also written applications that kind of, uh, hijack keyboard input and there's a lot of side effects that happen when you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we're being hyper aware and hyper critical of ourselves and trying to figure out what is the best experience here. Um, and we got tons of great community feedback, and we're trying to proactively fix it. Um, I, I deemed December and, and January our infrastructure month or months. So we're going in and you know improving our infrastructure, fixing a ton of bugs, having the hard conversations to make sure that these issues are addressed. So um, one of the things we decided we need to do is actually build out a mock app to test out all the different ways you can create a window be sure that we know that all these things can snap appropriately and we're not and you don't get visual quirkiness mm-hmm. so one of the things we did do actually would cause in version 14.1 the um save dialog would be snack snappable and we're like ooh. <laughs> so we had to go in and, and then filter that however the caveat is there are windows that are created like save uh, uh, dialogue that you don't that you did did want to snap so you get in this weird you know because Windows lets you do anything as a developer you get this weird quirkiness where sometimes you want it to, to be snappable and other times you don't cool cool yeah that, that makes it really interesting especially if you have an app where you do a lot of custom window creation yep. that must be very difficult for you know a, a feature like fancy zones yeah um, so we're, we're we're doing our best we're trying to bit by bit chisel this away and make it testable recreatable um and just rock solid um and like i said there's still parts of the experience that I think we need to really hard, think hard uh, about and like the setup experience. The other big one that we need to think hard about um, and is on my, my to-do list is how do we do better um, multi-monitor support in zone creation? So right now to do this, you, you launch your editor in the window you want it. So versus, hey, here's a dialogue and we auto kind of create the, we show all the monitors, you click on that, that 
the monitor you want, and then then stuff appears on it. So it's how do we better improve that experience and make it super easy to do everything and still maintain that power. Another issue that that is currently in Power Toys for is um, zone creation. If you create a custom layout, depending on which one you create, it's deep. It's uh, pixel, not uh, relative. Mm. So if you put if you create one on a 4K monitor and then you try to apply it on a different monitor, you get uh, just <laughs> not what you're you, expecting. You, you lose some, and trust me, I know this from personal experience having a 4K monitor and going back to my laptop. Makes sense. Makes sense. Raygun Crash Reporting provides automated monitoring software for your entire tech stack, giving you better visibility and code-level diagnostics into the errors and crashes that affect your end users. Raygun is a more sophisticated alternative to logging errors. While logs provide you with an overwhelming stream of information, Raygun finds then groups errors based on root cause. The easy-to-use dashboard gives your team members a manageable list of bugs to fix in real time, ranked on frequency, or by the number of users affected. Getting started takes minutes. Simply select the language and framework you wish to monitor and add Raygun into your code using one of their lightweight SDKs. So what are you waiting for? It's time to control the chaos around solving software bugs in your own application. Deliver better software experiences for your customers with Raygun. Visit raygun.com to find out more. Um, okay, so let's talk about uh, the shortcut guide because I actually learned okay. some things. This is pretty simple, but I mean, I pushed the, I held the Windows key, and then I get a list of all the different shortcuts. And yeah, so for the first yeah. thing that I have to say that I, I love about this feature is how easy it is to accidentally discover and do the right thing. Right. <laughs> There's times yeah. where I, I start pressing the Windows key and I forget what the actual thing is, and all of a sudden it just pops up and tells me what yeah. the thing I'm trying to do is. Yeah. So uh, this is um, one thing that we're actually trying to figure out what would make it, you know, what would be the next iteration of it and what would be the, the to make it even more powerful. And one of the things is allowing you to customize that screen, I think would be super helpful. So we uh, there's a current issue on GitHub. It's one of our first issues that literally we went through and created a list of every known keyboard shortcut on Windows. Um, and started like saying, oh, people would want this, people would want this, people would want this. We're like, okay, crap, this is too many for one screen. Let's allow people to, you know, pick and choose what they want on that. Mm -hmm. And I noticed yeah, there's, too, when, whenever I hold it, there's numbers above the, the taskbar. I didn't yeah. even, like, I never realized that you could even do that. That's really cool. <laughs> and all these features, most of these features have been in Windows forever. <laughs> Um, another key shortcut that I that most people don't actually know about is you can hit window key and just start typing. Yeah. And it auto filters your uh, uh, start menu. This has been something that's been in Windows since Vista. <laughs> I just, I just. And, and to be honest, it worked best on Vista and uh, Windows Seven. Ever since it's there's been a lot of uh, lag when you hit the Windows key and start typing, and it that is frustrating. I know it's not something that's part of this application here, but how there, there is actually something we are working on. That's a very good segue. Oh, um, tell us more, but wait, there's more. <laughs> so, uh, one of the things we are proactively specking and we just posted the, um, PM spec for public review is quick launch and quick launch is all is designed around the idea of, you want your applications or to get where you want to go as fast as humanly possible. So 
you know, as a as a dev, I want to go, let's say, launch VS Code, and I just want to hit the key, go, bam, launch it. So a lot of times for me, I use my run prompt as I hit Window Key R and I type exactly what I want. We want that kind of speed in this launch, and we want to be able to filter it. Um, another thing that we're also proactively thinking about in that kind of dialogue is why not include running processes? Why don't we think about Alt-Tab as well in this kind of concept? Super cool. By the way, whenever you were talking about the hitting Windows key and then typing, I was thinking you had, I, so I use that all the time, but for whatever reason, my idiot brain was thinking I had to hold down the Windows key. Nope. And then, <laughs> and then I started typing, which of course I hit L <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so all of a sudden you guys disappeared and I'm, I locked my computer. So awkward. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, anything else we want to talk about the shortcut guide? No, I think we're good on there. So there's discoverability. The, the, the third big feature that's out today is power rename. Yep. Um, what can you tell us about that? So power rename is yet another utility des- uh, created by a uh, Microsoft individual. Um, um, 99% sure his name is Chris Davis. Uh, and it used to be, I believe, Smart Rename was his utility, and then we rolled it into Power Toys um, with his permission. And he's helped uh, contribute back on that. And it's all about renaming massive files. So imagine, or not massive, mass quantities of files. Mm-hmm. So imagine you go on vacation, you take a bunch of photos, and then you want to rename them. So what are your options built into the operating system, it's manually going through, right-clicking and uh, renaming, right-clicking, renaming, right-click, click and rename. That sucks. Or, get this, right-click, you can use regex, you can uh, uh, do fast, uh, massive renames. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, this is a great feature. Uh, I know OS ten or Mac OS or whatever they're calling it these days actually supports like the basic functionality of this, but there's two things I like about this. First is that there's so many different options, just like literally in the options list. And then the second, which I think is a game changer is the, um, um, is the preview. So when you're in the yeah. window and you're typing, like it shows you preview. Cause that's the thing. Like I'm, I'm literally changing the name of 10,000 files. And what I've done before is I'll do like a, a search and replace and I'll like remove something. So there's like no going back. Right. Um, and this, <laughs> this lets you do an undo. But like, if you can't, if you can't do that and all of a sudden you've missed the thing that you were searching, replacing, you just can't fix that because it's like, yeah. oh, I need to prefix everything. And I think there might be a way to do it at the command line, but, um, yeah, this is, this is very well built. I love it. Yeah. It's a, it, he did a great job. Um, one of the things we are looking at proactively doing is, uh, refreshing the UI, mm-hmm. uh, across all our power toys. And, uh, but yeah, as is, it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned refreshing the UI. I saw something on Twitter uh, the other day about like new icons and look and feel and stuff. What, what can you tell us about that? So uh, I think it was sometime in December, I went through and kind of created an issue for being sure that we're being good citizens for dark mode, being sure that we're being good citizens for um, accessibility and localization. And started kind of going through and saying, how do we make everything look like it belongs and making it look like it belongs to Windows? So right now, as as you know, I've said multiple times that we're a, a suite of applications and not everything is created by the core team. So, and that's fine, 
but we can make everything have a similar look, a similar feel, um, and as well as making sure that it does things like respects high contrast mode, um, is narrator ready for accessibility. Um, we we do dark theming. We make sure that everything just looks in, like like it belongs, and that's a big undertaking. Um, but it's it's one of the things that the community gets really excited about because hey, we're looking for help. That's you know, Power Toys is meant for for these people that would want to potentially uh, tweak these things. So a community member went through and. Um, uh, multiple community members actually came, went through and created some new icons for Power Toys itself. Um, and they, right now, Power Toys uh, icon is very, I would say, retro, very 8-bit. And I personally really like it, but then some people came up with, I would say, a much more fluent-esque, uh, fluent-inspired icon, which is also very, very cool. So what we're now verifying is do any of these icons work in SysTray? Do they scale well? How do they look in, in the, the multiple different scenarios we have to use them and see? And then kind of let's put it to the community vote, like what works best? Um, uh, what the community members also did was come up with a mock for the quick launch. So we, I'm looking at this and I'm like, wow, they, made, they, they came up with more clever solutions that look more natural than our PM spec which I give, I give them bravo, congratulations, that looks fantastic. Um, and then what we're trying to do also is tell everyone, please post these in the GitHub so right. then you get credit for it. Oh yeah, good um, point. So one of the things uh, that is on my to-do list is make sure that all power toys say, hey, here's big contributors and people that have really helped out, make sure that they get call outs. Um, same thing with the uh, suite of applications is make sure that in the settings menu for them, they have attributions as well. Because like I said, this is a community project. We want to be sure that we're doing right by the community. Yeah. Does that cause any issues though, if you want to merge it into Windows? What do you mean? <laughs> so, you know, if um, all, all the stuff we talked about, if if the next you know, semester or version of, of Windows 10 comes out and just incorporates all these things in, um, you know, like there's, there's really no like application then for like the attributions and things like that. Um, and maybe this is like a big legal can, can of worms and like, I don't well, really understand. Everything we do is under MIT license. Okay. So there's nothing stopping anyone from actually just taking our code yeah. and re-releasing it. Um, gotcha. so, so windows itself would have to have, would have to put in a document that they're using, uh, power toys. Okay. I believe. Okay. Yeah. Actually, just, I'm not sure hundred percent there because we are MIT licensed and it's under the same corporation. So I'm not hundred percent sure on what okay. the legalese for that rule yeah, is, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I, I just thought it was, it was kind of interesting because I want to see all of these things built into windows. Cause I think they're handy and I just, I want them to be there. So I was just a little curious. Yeah. And that's the key thing is like, if there's a, something that's not operating how you think it should, please post an issue. Like, let's go figure it out. Um, and if you if you are feeling like you are able to code or think that we're not uh, it's not in our uh, roadmap quick enough, one hundred percent, please code. Let's have the conversation. Let's get that utility into Power Toys. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I was going to have a question here about how the public can get involved, but instead, uh, as I was looking through the GitHub here today. Uh, I noticed that compared to yesterday, there's four new pull requests, including one that happened 
in between the time that we've been recording here. So it looks like this is a pretty active GitHub project. Um, yeah, we are one of the more very open or very, you know, continually uh, getting updated and adjusting uh, uh, repositories. Um, what we're trying, so right now there are, there's the core dev team and then we have a team in Vancouver that's working on a couple power toys and they will be the two, the team that will also be doing the keyboard remapper and the quick launch. Uh, and potentially a third power toy. And then just to get the team's feet wet initially, they're doing a um, two, two smaller utilities right now. One is an SVG previewer for Explorer and a Markdown previewer for Explorer. Oh, that's cool. So a- as you can see, they're very dev-focused. Yes, yes. And then w- yeah, what else is in the roadmap? Um, Carl, um, something's listed here. Go ahead. Yeah, so so the roadmap is there's a active item against me for the roadmap um, because right now we're trying to figure out what needs to happen for a V1, and this this is actually something that I I take to heart is what is a minimal lovable product, not a minimal viable. What's a minimal lovable? I like that, um, and that changes the conversation. So. Uh, initially, we uh, I came up with a list and was hoping that build could be a good V1 time frame. But then you start going into, well, is this good enough to call V1? If you gave this to someone that didn't have, that wasn't willing to feel a little bit of pain to get this stuff to work, um, is that okay? And the big, big user for it for that kind of needing the best experience is fancy zones. And I don't think that we can hit the a good V1 by then for what is needed. And I think the big thing that needs a, um, additional love is that uh, setting, is the setting up the zones and being sure that scenarios that people think should work do work exactly how they think they should. Mm-hmm. Such as, hey, I created a layout on one monitor, it should just work on a second monitor, even though they're different resolutions or different DPIs. Right. And I see, I see specs in here for terminate program and another one for the GIF GIF maker. Um, yes. So that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm kind of excited about both of those, but, but they're just specs right now. Right. Like, uh, yeah. So the terminate pro, uh, tool, I believe we have a proof of concept for, we also have working code for always on top. Um, but right now we're proactively focusing on getting fancy zones in a great, uh, state and then, um, also getting everything to work in the store. Mm -hmm. So to get stuff in the store, we're doing a lot of, um, refactoring. We're getting, uh, one big thing we're doing is moving a lot of the stuff in fancy zones from the registry into a settings file. And then this, the nice thing here is then this will allow us to easily um, uh, allow settings to get transferred, et cetera, et cetera. That's a good point. So it's getting it in a state where if we were to have a breaking change, it's a breaking change to now the new deployment system. So it's not as bad as it truly could be. Mm-hmm. So we're trying, like I said, we're trying to minimize the breaking changes um, and the settings adjustment is taking a bit longer than what we had um, initially thought, but we want to do it right. Mm-hmm. So uh, give it a couple 
more weeks, and then we should have a good store release. And actually, this is a question we asked the, the uh, on Twitter to the community: Which one would you want? Do you want a temporary MSI act, or I'm sorry, an MSI build between now and then when we hit the store, or do you just want us to wait? And everyone said, "Hey," or I shouldn't say everyone. I think it was 65 to 70 percent of people said, "Whole, you, you can wait. Wait for the MSIX in the store." Okay. So the community spoke. They said, "Hey, this is what yeah. we want." And we're like, "Which okay. doesn't make everybody happy, but um, yeah, <laughs> you can't make everyone happy." Exactly. Exactly. So I have I have a random, totally random tool request, and maybe something like this already exists. Back in the day, I think it was back in the XP days. Whenever you, you know how you do this thing where you go to delete a file and it says, uh, that's in use. Um, there used to be a tool in XP that you could install that would tell you what program had it locked. Has anybody requested a sync toy for that? <laughs> I know without a doubt that was requested at build when okay. we first announced power toys. Okay. And they, um, uh, I'm blanking on the area's name, but at build when we did, uh, in person kind of, you know, what, what could we do? Mm. Um, uh, tech preview that was requested. Okay. Let me just do a search for file. Um, that's good that somebody requested it. It was requested in person. I'm looking at, cause that's something uh, that needs to get built into windows, by the way. I mean, that's just, so it'd be great. It'd be great to see it in, um, in power toys and then work its way into windows. Cause it's just frustrating whenever you say like, delete this thing. Oh, it's in use. Well, more information would be very useful. Cause what I end up doing is rebooting. Yeah. Oh, wow. That, that would not probably be the best solution, but I understand why you'd want to. <laughs> um, there is an issue drop and close open file handle handlers. Yeah. But it's like, you want to list them. You want to list them. Uh, yeah, so I would say issue 114 would probably be that. It's it's When you look at the description, it says, when deleting files, sometimes they're locked for no uh, apparent reason to the user. Uh, and then that says cough, uh, thumbnails, DB. Um, so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is definitely something that you know, I totally could see why we'd want it. Um, oh, yeah, this is it. Yeah, look at that. So. Yeah, unlocker. Yeah, so that was the that was the tool, and I I thought it stopped working, um, but it looks like it still exists. So I guess I guess I have a third party solution. But again, what we're oh yeah, see if you go there, it's 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 using the XP like this ancient theme. Um, yeah, that's pretty. It's just like not a not a great place. Yeah, and then you said you saw me link to it, and the key thing that what I'm trying to do is when people say, hey, this app or this thing and be sure that we're referencing the right thing because yeah. unlocker could be like 40 different things. Yeah. Um, and then I think I, looking at this issue, uh, process Explorer looks like it could do it. So let's just be sure that we're doing it correctly, but 100% it would be, this is a great example of helping windows be a better item yeah. and verifying it. It's, it's a hard problem because depending on, what actually has it locked? It could be potentially a system internal process. Yep. Maybe having it locked as well. And it's, you're like, whoa, I don't think you should really do anything. <laughs> just, let, just let it go. Yeah. That unlocker, it would let you like, you know, kill some, something super important <laughs> in windows. <laughs> but usually what ends up happening is like visual studio. Like I created a project, then I closed visual studio. Then I went to rename it and it's like, nope, you can't do that. I'm like, what? 
<laughs> don't you know who I am? <laughs> like I'm the administrator. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be like, uh, you know, somehow you're, you have this file in use and it's because it, for me right now, a good example is I have to install something to put into the shell and then start executing it. Mm -hmm. So it's still technically being referenced by the shell. Right. So I can't delete the folder. Yep. So there's, there's definitely times where it's like it, Windows is doing its yeah. best for good reason. I figured that's um, why it didn't exist, but uh, I thought this was a good good place to um, it's that. It's something we, we should investigate and requires more additional investigation. And if it's something that people want, mm -hmm. it's issue 114 on our mm -hmm. GitHub. Uh, start liking it more and more. I'm going to like it right now. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Any, this blocks me. <laughs> yeah. Any Anything else that uh, um, that you wanted to mention, everybody? Uh, yeah, so we the, the I, I mentioned Quick Launcher. We talked about that uh, uh, quite a bit. Um, the other one is we're looking at a keyboard remapper, um, and that's because think about it: different keyboards act dif differently. Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could, you know, potentially make you know, let's say your F12 key is is not something you particularly need, but you'd want to have it be a uh, OS level shortcut or a app level shortcut so it's something we're proactively trying to figure out um what is a good solid solution there is a uh open source um tool called um sharp keys which i've used in the past for years um and it lets you do kind of like one-to-one -one maps so uh, way back in the day i had a macbook pro that i boot camped into windows but the problem that I faced was the alt key and the window key were flipped. Mm -hmm. So muscle memory would just, it would just screw with me. Yeah. So it's like, oh, no, 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 this can't, this can't be. So that tool helped solve this critical problem for me. And I thought it was like, this should totally be a tool built into right, Windows. Right, right. Uh, Mac OS and that's has also a tool called Carabiner mm -hmm. as well. Um, that's a fantastic product. Um, so when I, uh, um, had my face sabbatical, I was using that to, to help me in the interim between getting used to Mac OS, there's key shortcuts and key, uh, keyboard systems that just felt weird. The other gotcha was using a Microsoft keyboard on a Mac OS. Um, I think the it's a very similar problem of the window key was the command key yep. and vice versa. So my, uh, if I used the laptop, it was correct. But if I switched to a keyboard, it acted um, a bit awkwardly. Yeah. I was going to say, I think there's a way in Mac OS to remap those, by the way, to fix that issue. I've heard of people doing that. I think they probably ended up using Carabiner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a free, free utility. Yep. Yep. Um, the other thing to think about there would be macros, by the way. So I hit a button and it, I want to hit multiple keys for like gaming. Uh, we do have that request and it would be for an application specific shortcuts. Okay, cool. I'd like to see that too. Um, anything else? And any other questions, Carl? No, I, I think with that last one, I think that, you know, as you're talking about like the differences between Mac and windows, it just might be like a, 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 a Mac theme. You just like, Hey, you right. pre bundled setting for that. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things we're looking at is how what would be a good uh, profile for a Mac OS user along with a Linux user. Um, and being able and, to share and, them. Pardon? And being able to share them. 
Like something that you could almost include like in a, let's just say like you have a team of people that are used to a certain set of keyboard shortcuts or or something like that. Um, So this would be a great time to comment on our PM spec because I think that sharing uh, profiles is a lower priority item. It is a, it is something we want to do. It's just what is a minimal lovable product. And is that, does that hit the bar Mm -hmm. for that? Um, we want to design everything so we can do that, but I think it's something we just... It might not would, hit V1. Yeah, it's like, like, is this a ship blocker? And I don't think it is. No. Um, keyword is, that's my opinion. I would love to better understand the community's uh, opinion and see how big of an issue this would be in a blocker if we didn't have this ability. Um, so it's all about finding that balance and, and kind of to hit home the Mac versus Windows differences is like even chrome if you uh, if you're using chrome on a mac the key sh- the, to go to the address bar the key shortcut is command l yeah um, it's different for the tools by the way too the developer tools oh i didn't know that yeah it's uh, like uh, that's, shift, that's even a more it's like shift critical. command t or something on on uh if you're on a mac yeah that took a um, lot of getting used to yeah and then you go to windows for me i always i grew up using alt d Mm. which is command D in uh, Mac mm. for, uh, for keystroke. So that actually throws up the save to uh, bookmarks. <laughs> and if you hit escape, it still saves it. Mm-hmm. So that to me was like the worst muscle memory keystroke I yep. could have because it kept on throwing up this dialogue and then, and then you hit escape and then you get angry. And the next thing you know, your entire uh, tool your, your favorites are ruined because you have like 800 of, you know, the same, this one website and you're like, what the heck? I didn't want that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where we're proactively trying to figure out what is a good set of shortcuts that we should do for like Mac users. Same thing with Linux users yeah. is let's, let's help give them a soft landing. Um, yep. yeah. Sounds like you have a lot of potential work. So <laughs> we, we have a lot of cool stuff. Um, I, I'm looking at your show notes. Another one is, uh, you, you mentioned, uh, minima, or I'm sorry, maximize to new desktop widget. Yeah. Um, that's something we're proactively thinking, uh, thinking about how we do this. Um, Currently, that is blocked because we are using an internal API, mm. um, and we're working on making that into a public API. Oh, cool! So that's, this is that's one cool. of those yeah, shaping windows. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's all about trying to figure out how can we do the right thing, and we have you know business cases for doing these things. So we're proactively trying to make that into a public API um, and doing the right thing for everyone. So then when that when we get that through API uh, review, we can then ship it to the larger community as well. Okay, cool. Okay, Carl, what do you have for the dev tip of the week? So when you're on a website, there's a lot of times where you have reasons to take a screenshot. And I know in the past that a lot of times I'll just like go to uh, one of the extension stores and try to find an extension to do it because there's a million of them. In fact, if you do like a web search on them, there's like, blog posts that are like top 10 web screenshot things as a developer it's actually in your web tools though in your developer toolkit so if you open your developer tools and then you hit uh control shift or command shift m you'll bring up this responsive uh mode 
And in the, on the top, like above the site, there's going to be another bar that's there where you can actually change it to like force like uh, a specific uh, ratio. So if you want to simulate an iPhone X or a Galaxy S5 or something, those are in there. Or you can put your own pixels in. To the right of that there are some sideway ellipses. If you click on that, you can either capture screenshot of what's on the screen or capture full screenshot. So it'll actually scroll through and save it as a PNG. So built in, you can do all the screenshotting oh and my you God. can simulate as if being on a certain device. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Cause I, I, you know, basically I got, a, I have a mobile screenshot now of the web of, of the website I found it on. It's probably the most screenshotted website. <laughs> 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 That's incredible. I had no idea you could do that. Well, now you cool. Yeah. That is super cool. Okay, cool. So Clint, uh, where can people find you? Uh, at Clint Ruckus. So C-L-I-N-T-R-U-T-K-A-S on Twitter. Uh, I'm also very active on the Power Toys uh, GitHub, which is aka.ms slash Power Toys. Very cool. Very cool. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Clint, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about Power Toys. Thank you. 